Hello, everyone, and welcome to Surveillance Report 62, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week, like a man who had his home stolen. That is privacy-related. Stay tuned. Some alarming, but probably not terribly surprising, research about Facebook. Signal adding proprietary code to their server, and yet another VPN provider accused of logging user data. I am Nathan from The New Oil. I am Henry from TechLore. And this week, our affiliate link is going to be ProtonVPN, who is running a special sale. Real quick, before I get to that, a reminder, we pick these links. Proton is not an official sponsor. They have not reached out to us individually. This is part of an email that we got because Henry and I are both in Proton's affiliate program. And so this was just kind of a newsletter we got today and thought you guys might like to know about it. If Proton is not right for you, we respect that. There's also Mulvad, there's iVPN, there's Winscribe. We do definitely encourage using a VPN. So here's the sale. If you are a free or basic user and you want to get some new features or support Proton and us at the same time, or if you're not a Proton VPN user, but you want to check it out, they will be offering 50% off of a two-year plan, 40% off of a one-year plan, or 25% off of a monthly plan if you upgrade to the Plus plan. If you are already a Plus user, you can get 33% off if you switch to a two-year plan or 47% off if you upgrade to a ProtonMail and ProtonVPN bundle for the Plus level. The Plus plan gives you 1,300 servers in 61 countries. Basic only gives you 350 in 40 countries. Gives you 10 simultaneous connections, 10 gigabits of speed, the ability to use ProtonVPN with streaming services. I do that myself. It's kind of hit or miss, to be totally honest, but it is nice. Two hop servers and Tor over VPN. We will have the links in the description, as well as a regular non-affiliate link if you're interested, but you're kind of sketched out by affiliate links, which we totally understand. Again, you don't have to go with Proton, that's totally fine, but if you are interested, here's a chance to save some money. We're gonna go ahead and start with data breaches this week, as always, and we're gonna start with a 1.8 terabyte data breach of police helicopter surveillance footage. This was posted by a transparency activist group who was given this information from whoever actually did this, who they don't know who did it yet. Pretty much the source said that the two police departments who were responsible for this were storing the data in insecured cloud infrastructure. This showed things like vistas high overhead to cars lined up at McDonald's drive-thrus. It also included people just standing in their own yards as well as on local streets. The leak illustrates the inherent risk of collecting and retaining sensitive footage that could otherwise be breached. Pretty much they've declined to comment about the data storage practices. Uh, there's been really no information from either police department. Uh, one thing is due to security measures, we are not able to discuss data storage. So apparently how they store data is a security measure. So that's really it. I mean, you should really keep in mind that every major city at this point has some form of aerial surveillance that is tracking very much really anything happening outdoors. It's only a matter of time before I think this technology might be used to track things indoors as well, but that's just my tinfoil hat. Spooky stuff, this is kind of the thing that you have to vote in the, in the voting booth against if you want to make an impact. I don't think there's much you're going to be able to do about this in your day-to-day -day life unless you're looking to uh, really do some weird stuff. <laughs> Our next story comes from a US medical training company called Phlebotomy Training Specialists, who exposed the data of tens of thousands of students. This comes from an unsecured AWS bucket, take a shot, and the number of exposed students, they're not quite sure, it ranges from 27,000 to 50,000. The researchers contacted the school, Amazon, and CERT, and all of them failed to respond. So as far as I know, nobody has fixed this yet, which is horrible. 
The information exposed includes ID cards, driver's licenses, resumes, CVs, which we call cover letters here in the US, transcripts, and much, much more. If you're interested, the article actually lays out everything that they found. This information could, of course, be used for phishing, ID theft, fraud, and a lot more. So this is definitely very worrying. Our next data breach comes from the UK, where the Labour Party has admitted to a data breach after a ransomware attack. It affected members, registered and affiliated supporters, and quote, others who have provided their info to the party, unquote. They haven't really given us full details on what's been disclosed in terms of information or how many people were affected, but if we hear anything, we will keep you guys updated. Up next, hackers have gained access to MySA.gov accounts, including license and registration details. MySA.gov is the South Australian government's online platform and application that provides residents with single account access for the state's services, like checking into a venue or completing transactions for vehicle registration. This compromise came from password recycling, meaning it was very much preventable by people who weren't reusing their passwords. I don't know if I need to make the takeaway a little bit clearer on this one. Don't reuse the same password and use a password manager. And our last data breach is going to be brought to you by the word irony, where US defense contractor Electronic Warfare was hit by a data breach. The company claims that the breach's impact was limited, but confirmed that the threat actor did manage to exfiltrate files containing sensitive information. The goal appeared to be wire fraud, but they think that may have just been a misdirection because the stolen files included names, social security numbers, and driver's licenses. That's about all we know, actually. When they say sensitive information, we don't know if that was employees, if that was clients. We don't know if there was also like any company information, like any schematics or contracts or technical details. I think if there's a takeaway on this one, it would be a credit freeze. Most of us are W-2 employees, which means when we go to work for somebody, we have to give them our social security number and ID and stuff like that. And if they get breached, all that information is out there through no fault of your own. So if you live in a country where you can do a credit freeze, definitely do that. And then people cannot use your identity for fraud. With that, we will now move into company news, and we're gonna start with Google, specifically Alphabet, who has launched an AI company to discover new drugs. I'm gonna quote the article. UK registered isomorphic labs will use technology from its sister company, DeepMind, which is Google's AI company, to quote, accelerate drug discovery and ultimately find cures for some of humanity's most devastating diseases, unquote. On the surface, this article doesn't seem very privacy related because they don't talk about how the medication's gonna be deployed or who's gonna have ownership of it. But the fact that Google is involved in Alphabet, I think it's a pretty safe bet that they're gonna want shares and, and kickback from whatever is discovered. And they're also probably gonna have a really vested interest in the data of how it's deployed, who receives it, and all that kind of stuff. So just something to have on your radar. On the topic of Google, they are now allowing alternative in-app payment systems, but only in South Korea. This is to comply with recent laws that are obviously only in South Korea, which affects Android only. Google will start charging a commission for alternate payments, but it will be lower than previously stated. They didn't miss the opportunity to remind people that alternate payment methods may not include the same, quote, protections or features. I think really the takeaway for me here is that regulation can sometimes be a good thing as it is going to allow for a more open platform on Android, and hopefully we we'll see the same thing on iOS as well. Our next story will come from Amazon, where the headline says, Amazon wants you to keep quiet for a brilliantly sinister reason. Basically, 
Amazon Alexa's vice president, Tom Taylor, they want to take this stuff further. And I'm sure this is not a surprise to most of us. They want Alexa to be able to anticipate your wants and needs and do things before you even ask. So that's really what this article is about. It's a pretty good read if you're interested in knowing more about that, but that's, you know, the TLDR. Up next, Facebook, which is citing societal concerns, is planning to shut down its facial recognition system. There's not too much to say here. There's just some PR marketing about they're trying to find a balance between the benefits and harms of the software. So they're deleting the 1 billion images they've collected, but not necessarily the software itself. And they haven't said anything about not bringing it back in future products. There's also a paper, somewhat misleading title that was published today talking about how Facebook isn't going to use it themselves, but the metaverse might which is the parent company of Facebook. So that's something that is kind of being explored. It's a little bit misleading of a title because it's not really based on anything. It's just kind of speculation that Facebook could theoretically be using the metaverse to now be implementing this kind of technology. Our next story comes from Clearview AI, who is in trouble for breaching Australian privacy on quote, numerous fronts. The title pretty much says it all. One of the aspects of this accusation is that Clearview did not give Australians an easy way to opt out. They used to have an opt out form on their website, but now the only way to opt out is via email. So there's still an opt out form, but they don't advertise that. And therefore a lot of people don't know that they can opt out, which I'm sure is 100% intentional on Clearview's side. On that same note, various Australian police departments did admit that they tested out the software and they trialed it a little bit. That's pretty much all there is to it. Again, you can always read the article and we do encourage that, but yeah, Clearview is in trouble in Australia, which is... Oh no! Can we get an F in the chats for Clearview AI in Australia? <laughs> Everyone, please! I, just, I feel so bad for them. It's such an evil company. I, I, I don't know how people can actually manage a company that's like just built to be just evil from the ground up. If anyone hasn't seen John Oliver's episode about Clearview AI, you should, because there's a, it's not out of context or anything. There's a clip where it's an interview with the founder and I don't think it's John Oliver, it's somebody else straight up asks him, would you work with repressive countries that have a history of human rights abuses? Like, you know, Saudi Arabia, UAE, North Korea. And the dude beats around the bush. He's just like, well, we've gotten a lot of interest from uh, various countries. And like John Oliver makes a great point. He's just like, that's not what you want to hear from the person guarding the hen house when you're like, are you going to let foxes in the hen house? Well, what I can tell you is we've gotten a lot of interest from foxes on getting into the hen house. <laughs> it's totally worth a watch. It's great. All right. And our last company story, the headline of the article says, we do not maintain databases. And that is a quote. This is an article about a free VPN service called Act Mobile, who has been caught keeping logs despite adamant statements that they don't and they actually threaten to sue anyone who says otherwise. The blog post breaks down all the proof. It's a little bit technical, it kind of goes over my head, but you can read it for yourself and understand, and that we do not maintain databases, that's actually part of their official statement. This is a great time to remind you that if it's free, you are the product. Be very suspicious of free VPNs. Usually, like 99% of the time, they can be trusted. And TechLore has a whole tool on the website about the various VPNs out there and how they stack up. And there's even tools to apply it to VPNs that are not listed so you can see for yourself if they are trusted or not. It's all open source. And that too. So go check it out. And that is really gonna be it for companies this week. We're gonna go ahead and move into research and we're gonna start with 
You know, we should find a name for this, honestly. A story that I think everyone who consistently listens to this podcast knows about and could have expected, but it's kind of honestly an underrated story and it's something that a lot of people should get their eyes on. So a security researcher has found that the Facebook app tracks iPhone movements. We're all like, yeah, of course. But actually, like, listen to this. It's a little bit more in depth than that. Facebook collects location data from the IP addresses and photo EXIF data. So that's your, your photo metadata, even if you set your settings to never track you. That can be preventable, but generally speaking, most people aren't going to be thinking about that. So even if you turn everything off, the images you upload to Facebook are still collected and the location data tied to that is still collected. Now, here's where things get fun. Security researchers have suddenly warned that Facebook goes even further, using the accelerometer on your iPhone to track a constant stream of your movements, which can easily be used to monitor your activities or behaviors at times of day, in particular places, or when interacting with its apps and services. Alarmingly, this data can even match you with people near you, whether you know them or not. Quote, if you don't allow Facebook access to your location, the app can still infer your exact location only by grouping you with users matching the same vibration pattern that your phone accelerometer records. So I guess the idea here is if you're with a friend who has the Facebook app installed and you don't have Facebook on your phone allowing access to your location, if you guys are somehow in sync and have the same kind of vibration patterns, maybe like- Like if you're riding in a car or something. Yeah, like in a car, I think that's like where you might see this kind of thing or in like a public space with a lot of people and like the crowd and the sound waves are causing the same vibration patterns in the phone. That might be enough information for Facebook to see like, oh, these two people are in the same exact place and these this person here has their location on. So here's where they are. To add on top of this, this isn't just the Facebook app. This is, I would consider everything in the new metaverse. This includes Instagram and WhatsApp. If you have WhatsApp installed, this is happening inside the app. This isn't just like speculation. This is actual research showing this. At least on the bright side, TikTok, WeChat, iMessage, Telegram, and Signal all don't do this. This is really kind of just a Facebook thing and it speaks to how terrible of a company Facebook is and why even installing it on your phone is just a serious risk to your privacy and security and what I would argue your basic freedom in the world. I don't know if you have something to add there. That was a big story. Just that the only way to stop it is to delete the app. They said that at the beginning. That's it. We're not normally like all or nothing kind of people. Normally it's like, oh, you can prevent this by doing this, but it's a workaround, so it's inconvenient. No, you have to delete the app. It's the only way to stop this nonsense. Our next story also has to do with phones and Bluetooth devices. Researchers were able to use a cheap Bluetooth detection device, less than 200 US dollars, to track as much as 47% of mobile devices. They were able to use a Bluetooth sniffer to uniquely identify those devices, which would allow them to track them from place to place. Now, this wouldn't require an attacker to go from place to place. So it's not like they can track you at the movie theater and then also at the grocery store, they would have to be in both places. So I think for most people, this is probably not a huge threat. But for most people, what I think the the real implication of this is that this is a way that companies can correlate that data. If the grocery store and the movie theater both detect your unique device via Bluetooth, they may not necessarily know that you were in both places. But when they sell that data to data brokers further up the chain, they can connect those dots and know that you were in both places. I always encourage you to turn off Bluetooth, especially if you're not using it. Leave your phone at home. I did that this morning. It was awesome. It's a good point you bring up because I've never thought of that. It's the same thing with data brokers. If you're not listening in the US, I know this is a foreign concept to you, but here in the United States, you can just go online and there's things called people searching websites. 
and literally it's what it sounds like. You just type in someone's name and it gives you their address, their phone numbers, their emails, etc. You have to like actively be good about your privacy to not end up on these sites. I think by default, most people end up on these sites, but it's the same exact thing that Nathan just talked about. These don't normally come from one central place. It's, oh, Facebook sold your phone number to this data broker. Oh, uh, Snapchat sold your, your email to this data broker. Oh, this person had your home address. And then these data brokers in high up areas really combine all this information to form a very good portfolio on individuals. This is their business. Their business is being able to tie data together. And so I don't think that what you said is by any means out of the question if this actually becomes something that becomes widespread. Honestly, I'd be more surprised if it's not already widespread because so many people just leave Bluetooth on all the time. Yeah. And our last research story, Brigham Young University algorithm accurately predicts when teens likely have suicidal thoughts and behaviors. I'm going to be honest here. This is a personal subject for me. I have said in a previous surveillance report that I have suffered with depression. And at one point in my life, I had suicidal thoughts. I never made any attempts, but I had those thoughts. And looking back on, even at the time, I think, you know, this is way before I was into privacy, I still think I would have been upset if that was just public knowledge. I wanted to control who knew that about me and how much of that they knew because I didn't want people judging me, not to go too far off a tangent, but my mother does not have a lot of experience with mental health and depression and stuff like that. So when I told her I was suicidal, there was one time she called me while I was in the shower and because I didn't pick up right away, she immediately assumed the worst. And I didn't want those kinds of reactions from everybody. You know, I wanted to control who knew that stuff about me. This kind of research, I understand the value of it. I understand the value of knowing if someone is a risk so that you can step up and do something about it. But at the same time, that's a huge invasion of privacy. And I think this research should be tread lightly. I, I think this is an area where we should tread very, very lightly. So anyways, to get into the actual story, this algorithm developed by Brigham Young University, which I believe is in Utah, has a 91% accuracy rating among adolescents. They analyzed 179,384 junior high school and high school students for a total of 1.2 billion data points. They examined all kinds of things like, I mean, pretty much any data point they could get their hands on, like a socioeconomic background, demographics, all kinds of stuff. What I'm sure is probably not a surprise to many people, the top predictors of suicidal thoughts and behaviors, being threatened or harassed through digital media, cough, cough, delete Facebook, being bullied by a student at school, and serious arguments and yelling at home. Those were the top three predictors of somebody who was likely to have suicidal thoughts and behaviors. So I think if there's a practical application that we can take away from this, don't be an asshole. I know we all have strong opinions and stuff, but when you're leaving your YouTube comments, don't forget there's real people on the other side of the keyboard. So. Yeah, and in, in real life too, just, you never know what somebody's going through, man. Don't be a jerk. To give kind of a different look on this as well, I found a podcast that I fell in love with, and so I downloaded tons of old episodes, and I was listening to one from over a year ago when the pandemic first started, and they were talking about how, what's really sad about social media in general is that they have so much great information that they're getting on people that can be used for so much good. They quoted a research paper, it was a similar one to this, where pretty much the social media platforms, they know so much about what you're going through in your life and your feelings, likely better than you do. And they can actually use that for good. And it's something that's very unfortunate because it's genuinely not a bad technology inherently, but it is only being used for bad things. And I would almost argue that these platforms are only making it worse despite the great information that they have access to. All right, and on that note, we will move into politics. 
We're gonna start off with CISA or CISA. I'm still not sure how that's pronounced. Here we are, what, three years later? Orders federal agencies to fix hundreds of exploited security flaws. This is actually really impressive. They have given all civilian government agencies two weeks to patch known vulnerabilities in their softwares. And I believe if I read the article correctly, that this is actually a binding order. This isn't like a guideline or a recommendation, like they actually have to do this. So this is great news. We are finally catching up to the bare minimum of cybersecurity by having people fix known freaking vulnerabilities. Fantastic. And they have to do it quick too. This isn't one of those like by 2050, like, no, you got two weeks, bro. And I think your first week is already up as we're recording this. So yeah, this is fantastic. Um, I love that. Up next, here's the headline. Hackers are stealing data today so quantum computers can crack it in a decade. And you can go into this if you want to read it, but pretty much the, the moral is that what is currently encrypted now, it's up in the air in 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now. I know that a lot of companies are planning to essentially to simplify this, re-encrypt the data using quantum technology to prevent it from being cracked by quantum computers. But these are all big ifs. I think the moral here is that we don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. So the best thing to do is to just assume that anything you upload is going to eventually be public information. Not to be depressing, but I wonder what the odds are that the NSA already has quantum computing and they're using it on all that technology they're intercepting. It's very slim. I did read some uh, research papers regarding the math and the, the amount of energy required to do that and how we would actually be able to trace down energy surges that would require that much energy based on I guess the technology that we think we know unless you really wanted to go down the rabbit hole of like the NSA has this like 50 technology. years from now advanced technology exactly but it's the kind of thing that I don't think it's a big even people who are like pretty far down the rabbit hole like Snowden even they seem very big proponents of the math that's currently available to them via just the standard encryption that we use. That's gonna make me sleep better at night, <laughs> for real. Our next story, the US has put Israeli spy firm NSO Group on a trade block list. The title pretty much says it all. Not to be political, I have a very low opinion of the US government, and I'm sure that's not really a controversial opinion in any political side. I don't really think they do anything altruistically or for the good of mankind, so I'm really wondering why they did this. On the surface, they say it's because NSO's been doing things that they don't approve of, like working with repressive governments, like, you know, UAE and and uh, I think Turkey was one of them. And just, you know, all these, these governments with a big track record of human rights abuses. Not that we're exactly a shining example, but anyways, on the surface, that's what they say. But then there's also the part of me that's like, but why? Now that I'm saying it, I wonder if maybe there's like a loophole where public companies can't do this, but the government can still use Pegasus and other NSA spyware. I don't know, I'm speculating. Officially, the US has blocked them and nobody is allowed to trade with them if they're a US-based company. There was also a Russian company and a Singaporean company that the article didn't name who were also added to this list. So it wasn't just NSO group, there were a couple others. I think it's just an arms race. There's a surveillance arm race. I'm guessing the Pegasus might outdo what the US was doing. And this is their attempt at kind of like undermining that. But that's just a personal thing. This is all speculation. I don't think either of us know the answer to this. We're not saying we do. And our last political story, we're gonna move to Kazakhstan, who plans to require tech forums to localize and that will open the door to censorship. So this is just something we wanna put on the radar of our listeners. I'm gonna quote the article. A draft law in Kazakhstan would require foreign tech companies to open local offices and comply with content takedown demands within tight timeframes or have their services terminated. While legislators claim that the amendments are necessary to counter cyberbullying, in 2020, Kazakhstan requested Google delete bullying and harassment content just once, compared to 44 orders to remove criticism of the government. So we can already see that this is kind of a 
flimsy excuse for Kazakhstan to try and impose more censorship. According to this article, the law is written in such a way that it limits the ability for pushback on the orders. Companies don't really have a whole lot of room to say no, and it removes due process which is, at least here in the US, due process is kind of that thing where you have a right to your accusers, you have a right to a trial, you have a right to a speedy trial, all these kinds of things that are supposed to make the justice system a little bit more fair. All of that is out the window. And they also point out that similar laws in other countries have led to more censorship. So they're not just being paranoid. There's a lot of uh, concern here that this is going to be Again, just a, a flimsy excuse for abuse and censorship, especially if you are a citizen of Kazakhstan, please have that on your radar. All right, we're gonna go ahead and migrate into free and open source, FOSS News of the Week. And we're gonna start with a story from Molvad. So Molvad has introduced WireGuard over TCP and IPv6. It's currently in beta and they're asking for feedback. Check out the sources if you wanna get more information and you're a Molvad customer. Very exciting stuff. Our next story is gonna come from Signal. And this is kind of one of the big stories this week. So we're gonna spend a minute to kind of break this down. Signal is adding the ability to report spam messages. Basically, when you get a message from an unknown number now, it's a message request. And Signal has added the ability to not only ignore the request or reject it or block it, but you can also report the number that sent it as spam. If Signal receives too many complaints about that number, they will ask the person or whoever owns that number for additional verification, like CAPTCHAs, for example. So they still won't see your messages. It's more of just if they get too many complaints, then they start assuming it's a bot. Some people have expressed concern because in order to do this like CAPTCHA thing, for example, there will be proprietary code added to the Signal server. Just a little bit, but it will be there. I'm gonna go ahead and let Henry comment on that and the implications as he has a much better technical understanding of Signal's architecture than I do. Pretty much what's interesting is that, first off, people have been freaking out about this. And first thing I'll say is like, calm, calm down. <laughs> because Signal's architecture is built to make the server completely not part of the equation. The server could be compromised, the server could be run by the NSA, it doesn't matter because the clients are open source and the clients is where all the fun Signal stuff happens. It's end-to-end -end encrypted, it's all done on your client. So that's kind of like my first point, it just doesn't matter. The other thing too, as for the proprietary bits, I think all of us wish that it was 100% open source. It doesn't really mean much either way because we don't even know if that's the server that they're hosting outside of just taking their word for it. So in regards to transparency, you don't even already know if it's open source or proprietary on the server end either way. I guess the only thing here is if people are concerned about any security implications of the proprietary side of the server, that might be a valid place to ask questions, but it doesn't sound like it's very technologically challenging. It's just sending captchas and it's just some automated system. If this individual is being reported 10 times a day for being spam, maybe we should send a captcha to them. It doesn't sound like it's a very complex issue here. Overall, the entire point here is that you don't have to trust the Signal server. So if you understand this on a technical level, you understand that this isn't really a massive deal. While it's one more thing that we should look at, you know, Signal now has gone through the mobile coin thing. They did hide their server source code for a brief amount of time, which again, doesn't really matter either way. They still haven't explained what happened with that. We're not saying Signal's perfect, but we're also like kind of breaking it down and why like none of these issues actually affect your privacy and security in really any conceivable way. Keep that in mind. I don't think this is a reason to avoid signal. It's reason for you to kind of start raising eyebrows and going like, okay, what might happen in five or so years from now? And maybe should I start looking at alternatives if there's other alternatives there? And also I want to defend signal a little bit here too, because you should check out the signal forums. There's actually a lot of people who complained about the fact that they're spam on their platform. 
and it made it a pretty much unusable messenger for them because they were just receiving constant spam messages on Signal and there was no way to stop them from coming in. So I genuinely think this is something that Signal needed to figure out in some way or another, and this is their best compromise in the meantime for still keeping it a good usable experience for people. And I think that other messengers like Session might have to deal with this someday, and they might have to implement a similar strategy. They're less popular than Signal, so Signal is now becoming a target for spam. So we just don't know what that's gonna look like for other messengers down the road. All right, moving on to our next story. The Linux Foundation has added software supply chain security to LFX. I will be honest, I don't really know what LFX is. According to the article, quote, LFX supports projects and empowers open source teams by enabling them to write better, more secure code, drive engagement, and grow sustainable software ecosystems. And that is according to the Linux Foundation. I'm assuming it's just some kind of software tool to kind of give you a light audit of your code. I'm going to quote the article again. Enhanced and free to use, LFX security makes it easier for open source projects to secure their code. Specifically, the LFX security module now includes automatic scanning for secrets in code and non-inclusive language, adding to its existing automated vulnerability detection capabilities. They cite that this was contributed to by Blue Bracket and SNYK, SNYK, I'm not sure how that's pronounced, S-N-Y-K, just to give them a shout out for their work in this. I think the real thing I wanted to highlight here is that Linux is trying to work on supply chain issues because we have seen that a lot lately where a corrupted library will filter out and be abused by malicious attackers and now there's hundreds of thousands of devices compromised all because that one library had a malicious injection. So yeah, this is good. They're trying to take the lead on that. Really quick, Tutanota, the email provider, has released a new beta app on Android, which now allows pin and fingerprint unlocks. That is all. Another real quick one, you can now unsend messages on session. Another one, title says it all, real quick update. And then just a final few updates, Android has released a November patch, which fixes some actively exploited kernel bugs. So again, keep it up to date. Linux 5.15 just arrived, and here's what's inside. You can go ahead and check the sources for updates, and it also includes security updates. So again, automatic updates. Firefox 94 has been released with some new features, and take a guess, security updates. So enable automatic updates. And hey, hey, guys, listen to this one. Thunderbird 91.3 has been released. And it also includes security updates. So you should use automatic security updates. With that, let's move into our final section, Misfits. We're gonna start off in the UK where a Lutton, Luton, sorry, don't know how to pronounce that. But a man from that place was left shocked as his house is quote unquote stolen. The short version is this man had his identity stolen the criminal used that to sell his house and pocket the cash. The man only found out when he came home. He was out of town for a long time. I'm assuming like on a business trip or something. He came home. All his stuff was gone, removed by the new owner. They had even like torn down some of the walls. They were doing some electrical work. Like they were totally remodeling the house. And unfortunately, you know, he called the cops to try and get it straightened out. They checked county records and the change was legal. So unfortunately, the cops had to be like, hey, man, I'm sorry, but you got to leave. He legally owns this house. You got to take it to court. So now he has to prove that he did not make this sale. And I, I'm I'm optimistic that he's going to get it straightened out. But oh, my God, can you imagine the uphill battle that this man has in store? And now, like the years he has to spend in court and he has to find a new place to live. And just oh, my freaking God, like 
this is a nightmare. So yeah, next time somebody's like, well, what's the worst that could happen? Like literally I've tried to push privacy.com on people before and people have just literally been like, well, I've had my card stolen before. And you know, they just, bank sent me a new one in a couple days. It really wasn't that big of a deal. And it's like, I say this all the time. Wouldn't you want to avoid this in the first place? Like I said, I'm hopeful that this man is going to get it straightened out. Cause I'm sure he's got lots of evidence that, you know, I was out of town. That was not me. Here's proof that there was a data breach or whatever. Like I'm sure they can get it straightened out, but it's going to take years and he's going to lose so much time and money and like stress just uh, i would rather just avoid it destructive cyber attack hits national bank of pakistan so these impacted atms internal networks and mobile apps this was data wiping malware this was not ransomware and no funds were reported missing that's it all right our next story a photo on wikipedia can ruin your life the basic summary of what happened was for a long time the wikipedia page for a serial killer from new york named nathaniel white featured an unrelated Nathaniel White from Florida as the photo. So when you went to go look this guy's name up to do like a background check or anything, anybody who went to look this guy up, Nathaniel White, and there's his face on a Wikipedia page saying he's a serial killer. Do you really think they're gonna read the whole article to see if he's still in jail and if maybe this is the wrong person? This is just a reminder for why we are so cautious about putting your face on the internet. The next story is a series of tweets that this guy is calling The Wire. This is very obviously biased but I still think it is extremely worth a read no matter your political opinions, because this guy gives a detailed breakdown of how the feds used phone metadata to track the extremists who were present at January 6th. Disclaimer, obviously not everyone who participated in January 6th went there with the intention of storming the Capitol or is a terrorist, but it is unarguable that some people were. Some people showed up with the intention of causing trouble and were not good people. I just want to throw it out there. I know that some people just got carried away and not everybody went there to cause trouble. But yeah, regardless, it's still a fascinating read because like he really goes into detail of like, they found this piece of information. Here's the patterns they looked for. Here's how they figured out this and that. And it's, it's really worth a read. It really, really is, regardless of your political affiliation. I 100% recommend it. Up next, phishing attacks are harder to spot on your smartphone. And that's why hackers are using them more. Pretty much what the headline says, they found that it's harder to spot phishing attacks on your phone. And maybe a reason for that is because they've been used less frequently on your mobile device. I don't know how much of this is based on the actual te technical differences or just on your expectations when you use a smartphone and what you think is going to happen on it. You can use your phone less for sensitive things and stick to using a computer. You can also just set up things beforehand to deal with phishing and just have your normal phishing checks. Phishing is kind of a hard thing to universally deal with. It really depends on your configuration and you just have to be able to spot it. It's not an easy thing to deal with. I do have two theories on why it might be harder to spot on phone. Number one would be a technical limitation. Like you can't hover over a link. Like you can hold a link, but even then it's gonna kind of pull the page and the damage might be done. And then number two, I think is just the emotional reaction of that in the moment thing where, you know, you get a text message or a phone call when you're in that moment and you know, phones are so real time with SMS and phone calls, you just, your emotional side takes over and you forget to stop and think like, all right, wait a minute. Our next story comes from Microsoft on the topic of, uh, fraud and spam, they are warning of a rise in password spraying. So password spraying, for those who don't know, is when attackers will attempt to gain access by just trying a bunch of different passwords. So maybe they don't actually know your password, but they'll try some of the common ones or whatever. This is just your quick reminder to use unique, strong passwords everywhere. We talked about that at the beginning. Do not reuse passwords. Do not use common passwords. There's no reason to reuse passwords these days. Up next, XMPP admin in the middle. 
That's, that's the headline. But XMPP is the, the federated open source chatting protocol. And this isn't unique to XMPP, but it's a proof of concept about how a malicious XMPP server admin can access all of your data and communications. This is true of any server. Now, Matrix is, is also open source and federated, and Matrix kind of has a similar issue. I do believe Matrix will implement end-to-end -end encryption before it touches the admin, so the admins won't be able to see end-to-end -end encrypted messages. However, you can still view all the metadata. So whatever matrix server you're using to communicate, know that you're trusting a lot of data to these people. So even though it's federated and you can choose what server to be on, just know that there are valid concerns with matrix. In fact, something that I wish we talked about, I don't know if we did mention this, but in the recent Signal story, I think that was last week, where Signal was uh, subpoenaed, Matrix wouldn't likely have dealt as well with that situation. Signal could not give any information. I think if they did that with the Matrix server, the Matrix server would have been legally required to hand over all the metadata of Matrix users. I don't think we mentioned that, but I remember seeing a comment where somebody mentioned something like that. Yeah, I read something like that somewhere and they're 100% right. Assuming that they're going to comply with the legal request, these federated platforms are actually worse off on certain things like that. I think the best possible scenario is something like Briar, because Briar is peer-to-peer, -peer, which is not the same thing as federated. And if there's peer-to-peer, -peer, that really means there is no central server whatsoever. They'd have to somehow get that information from the individuals. I think just the takeaway here is that the use case of the messenger matters, which is like the biggest misconception with Signal too. If you're using Signal for anonymity, obviously you're not gonna enjoy the phone number requirement. Duh. But if you're using it for just basic security and talking with your friends and for a small layer of privacy compared to WhatsApp, it's fantastic. And I really think that if you're trying to find a balance between privacy, security, and anonymity, you're going to have to go for something extreme like Briar, which fits pretty much almost every use case very well. But then Briar is also extremely not usable for a lot of people. Not to get too carried away, the takeaway there, use messengers for the right reasons. Use cases are important. And our last story of the week, the Internet of Things is getting a lot bigger, but security still is still getting left behind. This is an article from ZDNet. They cited some statistics here. Four out of five manufacturers do not provide a way for people to report security vulnerabilities in the products. Out of the ones who do provide a way, only one in five advertise it. There's so many metrics by which we could measure the insecurity of IoT, like how often they receive updates, if they receive updates at all, the expected lifespan, and then the actual security vulnerabilities, the nature of them. The moral is, Internet of Things is still incredibly unsafe, so be cautious with them. I understand we're moving into a world where they're more and more common. It's getting harder. Like, I've heard some people say they can't even buy a dumb TV in the part of the world they live in. Put things on a VLAN. Put things behind a firewall, make sure you're using good passwords, update them if you can. Just be aware, IoT is unsafe and be cautious. That was all of our news for this week. So we had a lot going on. We had the signal adding their code. We've had more research that Facebook is a terrible company that does not respect you. We've had Clearview getting in trouble in Australia. Hopefully we'll get some updates on that one in the near future. As usual, all of these stories, if we hear anything new, we will keep you updated. So make sure that you are subscribed to future episodes. We want to remind you again, our promo spot is ProtonVPN. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel again. They're doing a big sale this year. If you're not a Plus user, you're thinking about checking them out, go for it. If you're not interested in ProtonVPN, that's totally fine, but you should check out some other ones because VPNs do have their uses. 
We want to thank you for listening to Surveillance Report, and we are happy to know you're trying to stay safe out there. The final thing we want to ask of you, share the podcast around. Send this episode to somebody you think might like it or somebody who uses Facebook. Make sure that you're subscribed. Give us a rating if you're on a platform that does that, like Apple or YouTube. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can help us do that. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.